The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Welcome to another Block Talk podcast in the series with me, Brian Welsh, and Jax Bruce. Jax, how are you doing today? I am very well, Brian. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, yeah. All good. All good, actually. And the and the sun is shining, um, which is always good. It makes everyone feel a bit happier. So uh, t- today, um, I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Nigel Glenn, who is the CEO of Arma. Um, Nigel has an extensive international career in downstream oil, financial software, and investment banking. He founded a property management company in 2009 and joined the board of Arma in 2015. In 2016, he was appointed as Arma's CEO. So, Nigel, thanks very much for joining us today. It's great to have you on. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for bringing me on. And, and hi to you, Jax, as well. Hi there. Hi, Nigel. Are you moving on from Arma? No, I, I resigned as CEO, but they asked me to stay on as exec chair. And now um, it's a bit more complicated than that because of the merger. So right, okay. I'm, I'm still CEO and will be for a while and depends what happens with the merger. But th- okay. the idea is I'll become exec chair if, if everybody agrees of, of Nuco. Right. Okay, cool. Just the first thing to talk about, I suppose we're in Scotland and you're in, um, well, London, I'm guessing. Have you found that the pandemic has helped or hindered communication for you in your role? It's a mix of the two, I think, as everybody's found. Um, helped in the sense that you now do Zooms and Teams back-to-back, so you don't travel between meetings, so you, you get to see more people. But, of course, it's it's faceless, and it's very difficult, particularly, you know, we do quite a bit of um, interaction with government and MPs and so forth, and what you want to do is establish a personal connection, and that's quite hard when you're staring at a screen. So... Plus, you know, there's some plus and some 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 minus. I miss my team. You know, I, I yeah. haven't seen them face to face for 18 months. I can't even really remember what the office looks like. And as we joke, if there was a dog there, it would bark at me if I went in. So there's, wow. the, the, on the whole, I'd prefer that um, Corona hadn't happened. To be quite honest. Yeah, I must admit, I, I, the, the thing I I missed, and I, I did a post about this just after um, um, we all kind of went into the first lockdown, and that is that you, I, you just can't get any energy from Zoom. You can't, you know, read people's body language, and you know, and, and yeah, it's just the, the, you, I miss the energy in a room. That effectively is the best is the best way to describe it. And hopefully, you know, now we're getting back to a wee bit of normal. We've been, we've been back in the office a couple of days a week, so um, in Glasgow, so that's been really good. Um, so talk to me about um, your position as CEO. So um, you were going to move on. You're still there. There's a possible IRPM merger going on. Um, what, what, what's that all about? Yeah, well, I, I've been CEO for five years. And you know, there's other things I, I want to do in life as well. So I sort of thought about it hard and decided it was time to move on. I think five years is a good life expectancy for a CEO. Yep. But the board very kindly said, well, you know, is that really what you want to do? We, we don't want to lose you. And funnily enough, out popped the idea of me becoming executive chair of Armour. So okay. I, I, I've probably done the worst resignation in, in history. So <laughs> I've, I've resigned 
aligned with the idea of stepping up to exec chair, but then the idea of the merger came along. And so we're working on that. So I've rescinded my resignation. So I'm, I'm still CEO of Armour. But if both sets of membership agree, so there's quite a few steps involved, I'll take over the role as exec chair of the combined entity. And Andrew Bulmer, who's the CEO of IOPM, will take over the CEO role of the combined entity. But still, it's, it's up to the members. It's, there's no, no set thing yet on that. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I've met Andrew a couple of times. Yeah, interesting, interesting guy. Um, so, um, you you obviously have Armour um, down in England and Wales, and we have a Property Managers Association in Scotland. Um, do, do do those two um, entities talk? Do yeah. you know, how does how does that work? Absolutely. I mean, I've been up to see Alison. She she comes down. We invite each other to our various conferences and, and to dinners. So we we work as closely as we can, given that we're under different legislative uh, legislative structures. I think an interesting one was when when COVID first broke out. I, I flew out to Australia just before it happened, sort of the October before, to learn more about Strata and Common Holders that's coming over here and, right. and made some contacts. So when COVID came in, I, I got in touch with Alison, but also with my contacts in Australia and the States and then in, in Spain. And we used to meet up late at night once a week um, to make sure we, we hit everybody's time spans to sort of find out how other countries were being affected so particularly spain because they were ahead of the curve uh, whereas australia was behind us so we were trying to learn from a gentleman called pepe about what was hitting them what their government was doing so we could feed that back into government and to um managing agents here so alice and i work very closely on that. so there's no competition it's just we're under different structures different legislative stru structures so we compare notes when we can yeah, that's that's really interesting, actually, because I, I guess that it's different challenges, freehold versus leasehold and, and, and these sort of things. Um, mm -hmm. Talking about challenges, what's been the most challenging part during your time at Armour? I, I guess if I look back over my career, I've, I've been lucky enough to be sort of CEO role, etc., where, where you're in charge of your own destiny. So the biggest challenge has to be in this role, an awful lot of liaising with government because you're trying to... Um, affect something which is out of your own control. So it, the government certainly works at a different speed from from private. But of course, you know, in, in in the past, I'm used to saying, right, I will do this. Whereas now, I have to talk with somebody and say, have you thought of doing this? And they might have a different reason, etc. So I think that's the the most challenging part: trying to influence some a behemoth like government. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I've come across. Yeah, I can imagine that must be difficult. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that must be difficult. Um, so in your career, is there a particular project that has interests you most or interested you most? Yes, it, it's an odd one. I, I, I very briefly did a stint as a consultant for the World Wide Fund for Nature because my background um, is as a zoologist. Oh, wow. And that, that, that was fascinating, if horrendously depressing, about what's happening to the environment. Um, it's, it's very, very down talking to people. You know, they, they kind of say, well, if, if this thing happens here, then it, it's not going to affect this, 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 and this, and this, and that will remove all of this, because nature is very much like a, a very complicated watch. So that, that was absolutely fascinating, um, but depressing at the same time. And how long were you there for? How long did you do that for? Oh, that, that was only like a three or four month consultancy. So they, they asked me to write their, what's called the extractive industry strategy, so mining oil. But what it turned out to be was a precursor for climate change. So I was looking at, you know, CO2 content in the air, how much, how much fossil fuel have we already found? How much of it is in the ground? How much of it that we found can we 
can we burn if you like what would happen if we didn't burn oil but did coal or gas etc so it was really looking at all those different different aspects of it Ah, okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Can, can I jump in? This is obviously, yeah. Ryan, you know, this is my sort of area of deep interest. Um, so are, are you still very much interested in that in that side of things? I know I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but um, I just yes. wanted to ask whilst you're, whilst you're there. And as a, if your background is zoology, what's, what's your kind of take on everything that's going on just now around climate change and, and action and... I'm I'm still very interested in it. So I, I've reached out to the WWF a few months ago to say, look, um, anything I can do to help, um, because you never know. The, I guess, I'm very concerned about it. I mean, it, it, to me, it is the the greatest challenge facing us. Uh, facing us, you know, I'm, that's my scientific assessment, my background uh, of it. Because, unlike many other things something which sort of cheered me up a long time ago was well if mankind wipes out life on earth it will come back but if you read sort of lovelock's um, later versions of gaia it's a bit it's a bit miserable because it's kind of well there are there are ratchets so if the sea heats up more than you know i think it's 12 degrees then it starts to reflect too much heat and it changes its its constituency so there's no way back from that mm -hmm. so it is it is a very difficult thing and i'd, I'd like to somehow contribute to it in, in in my own little way but it what worries me is if we make it irreversible and terminal. Yeah, yeah. So it's a happy subject, but uh, yeah, 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 it is an issue. No, we we actually did some um, some articles on sustainability within the property management industry. Um, is that something you've had experience of in the last few years? Do you think the industry's doing enough, or could do more in terms of driving sustainability initiatives? The industry could definitely do more. The, the disconnect we have in the property management industry is it's somebody else's money you're selling and mm. they might have a very, sorry, selling, um, spending. So they might have a different version. You know, you might want to go and say, if you install solar panels, it will save you, you know, it can save the planet. And they'll go, yeah, but that's 20 years to pay back and I'm only going to be here for five. So why would I pay for that? Um, I work with the Home Office on some of their initiatives. So um, looking at that looking at how to get to net zero, that's going to be a huge challenge. Just just practical things, like if you want an electric charging point, you kind of think, well, that's easy, just put it in the car park. But then you've got to worry about what's the size of the cable coming in from the outside world, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it, it is interesting. There's a lot of things going on. If you think we need to get, was it 600,000 heat pumps replaced per annum by 2028 and a million thereafter which will probably cost a few trillion so who's going to pay for that and there's there's a lot to go a lot to go yeah well cool thanks sorry brian i just wanted to chip in no there. that's fine no you fire you fire on so i only have really have one last question um for you today and then um jack's normally um moves on to some bit more quirky questions um but so so you're you you, you were going to leave um Arma, you've decided you've decided to stay and stay on as um, executive chair if this all goes through. Um, I, I'm guessing that's not a full time job. What, what's the plans? What's the plans for the future alongside that? Yeah, at the moment, it seems to be a full time job. I originally joined that's Arma on only two days a week, and that it was like that for a couple of well, frankly, until Grenfell. Then it then it sort of came full time. But no, there's other things that I'm interested in doing. So uh, as I said, 
sounds like I'm, I'm putting my CV out there, but uh, there'll be some non-executive roles. There'll be some charity work. I, for example, I volunteer as a vaccinator, so I'm a qualified vaccinator. So once a fortnight, I go and stick needles in poor, poor unfortunate people who probably don't deserve me to do that. Um, so there's quite a few things. I, I'd like to look at the environmental side as well, but I'll, I'll be in property management for quite a while because there's, there's a lot to do. You mentioned the merger. Those those don't happen overnight. There's yeah. a lot of legislation coming, which needs uh, careful management. So, I, you know, the idea is to wind back if I can, as, as much as I can, so I can do other things. And also selfishly, just, you know, get, get a better work-life balance. I'm sure you're finding one of the downsides to back-to-back -back Zooms is, is sitting stationary for 10 hours a day is, is not very good for you. So um, I'd like to do a bit more traveling and just 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 get get a bit of my life back from that point of view. Yeah, I do get I do get that. Yeah, there's um sitting sedentary for most of the day is not a is not a is not anything anybody wants to do and it's and it's certainly it's certainly not helped anybody's health in the last kind of 18 months I don't think. But uh, mm. yeah try and get out and walk and try and get out and exercise, try and get out and play golf but then that that is you got to find the time to do it so yeah no i do i do understand exactly what you mean no, absolutely. So, so I've been lucky enough. A few people have approached me on for more strategic roles rather than operational, which is what I'm looking for. So you can yeah. sort of fit fit them in. And um, yeah, but I haven't given it that much much thought at the moment. So luckily, some people have contacted me. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, what sounds like there's a lot of work to do for the next the next year at least. Anyway, so mm -hmm. that's good. Okay, Jax, do you want to do you want to um, fire in with your questions? Yeah, sure. I, before I do, I think I just wanted to ask you. You mentioned a lot of legislation. That you're going to have to deal with is yeah. was this to do with Grenfell and the cladding yes. situation and that, that's pretty much all I do nowadays. Right. Um, so you know, I, I joined Armour as the CEO to sort of help a not-for-profit organisation, but I've turned into sort of a, a cladding warrior right. um, on on the behalf of the leaseholders. So yeah, you have the building safety bill, the fire safety order. I think I, I'd still like to put regulation of managing agents in that because if you're going to put five billion pounds through the hands of managing agents wouldn't it make sense if ever you're going to regulate them to do it before you start putting that sort of level of money through um organizations etc so there's a, there is a tsunami of legislation hitting us so the last mm -hmm. two years I've, I've been filling out and answering consultations and sitting in front of select committees here in wales etc more and more you can just see it coming yeah, yeah, and is 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 that going to affect? Excuse my ignorance. Is that is that affecting the UK across the board, or is this England and Wales, and then Scotland will have to piggyback onto that? What's it's interesting that actually because I the, the Welsh government is very progressive. I find uh, so I, I don't do with Scottish government, so I don't know how you you right. guys are doing. But the Welsh government is perhaps because it has the, you know, a lesser problem, if you like. But they're much they're much more able to say right, tell you what we should fund everything and then worry about who pays for it later. Whereas the, the, the English government or slash UK government is much more circumspect about that, about, well, there's bits we can pay for and bits we can't. And we go, well, that's that's fine. But then if you don't pay for it and if leaseholders cannot or will not, where does that leave us? Because yeah. as you know, service charges, there's no there's no profit margin that you can't say, oh, we'll, 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 we'll uh, just take that out of the profit of a service charge. There isn't you. There's, it's a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. So they work at different speeds, I find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been. I, I'm not too close to it, but I have. I have from a, a sort of um, human perspective. Obviously, you know, with with what happened, taking a bit of an interest in, in what's going on, and it's you just keep your fingers crossed that that it happens quicker than 
than you would hope, I suppose, if, if I'm making yeah, and, and it will affect everybody. I mean, yeah. I, I could be sitting in a country mansion in the middle of, you know, the, the countries with a moat and extensive grounds thinking, thank goodness I didn't buy a flat with cladding. But yeah. somewhere in my chain is probably a flat with cladding further mm -hmm. down. So it will have a knock-on mm -hmm. effect because it, it's affected the sales, it's affecting rentals. It, you know, it's, it's, it's affecting the entire sort of living in infrastructure of, mm -hmm. of the country. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm surprised you sleep at night with all that going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, taking it into um, a, a little bit of a lighter note, um, our three quirky questions that we like to, to finish with is, one, the first one is, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? My biggest disappointment, and when I told um, Jacqueline at, at, at our end of it, she burst out laughing, but I applied to be a UK astronaut and didn't make it. Oh, one, wow. of my, one of my friends got through to the last group, which he loves to, well, my best friend, he still loves to remind me to this day. Um, so that's a, that's a bit quirky. I'm you know, just fascinated by science and space, etc. Other than that, there no great failures because I've actually been very, very lucky. My, my first real job was with BP as one of their sort of blue-eyed boys at headquarters, and they would send me around the world, give me terrible responsibility, but also give you help there if you needed it. And as part of that, you know, they gave you great bosses with a development plan. So it was a very, very lucky way to, to learn how to get involved in business. So I've been very fortunate. And since then, you know, I've had, again, a very, very happy and lucky career. People who have worked for me have gone on to do great things, which which is always a real bonus. It's nice to see people develop and move on. So yeah, no massive failures. The, the only one which might be relevant here is I, uh, I ran my own property management business for seven years. Oh, wow. And I, I use this as an example for government because quite often I'm, I'm afraid I'll, I'll hear people say, oh, yes, well, pro you know, property managers, you've got your hands in leaseholders' pockets, you make a fortune. And I go, mm. well, if I, I didn't make anything. I, I, I worked for free for seven years. Um, and each year we doubled. And I kind of thought, next year I'll make some money. Next year I'll make some money. It's a terrible business. Mm -hmm. So I suppose a failure from that would be I, I didn't, you know, I'm not, I don't own the largest managing agent in the country because I, after seven years, it just didn't seem to be a way to make money out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Time to quit. There's yeah. time to get and time to quit. It's getting those, getting that balance, isn't it? I suppose there's, there's only so long you can, you can stick at something before you have to say enough's enough. Yeah. Um, so then the second quirky question, if you ruled the world for a day, Nigel, what would you do? It would be the climate change. So uh, it does frustrate me when I see governments around the world saying, you know, we will be net zero by 2050. That's just kicking it down to the next government, let, let alone one in 20 years time. So we really do need to wake up to this. It, it is a current economic cost that is unsustainable. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's just terrible what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be my magic one thing. If I could do oh. that, that would be what I'd love to do. Cool. Nice. Um, so when you're 70 and look back at your life and you've not had that magic wand that you could do that with, um, what will you be glad you did or feel proud of if, if it's something you've already done or something you want to do still? Um, I mean, some... <laughs> Something that's quirky that I'm glad that I did. I've, I've been made redundant three times, and that's frankly the best thing that ever happened to me each time, because wow. it takes you out of your comfort zone. So, yeah. you, um, you know, you, we, we talked about uh, the things I've done in the past when Brian was saying, you know, 
be downstream oil investment banking there's no obvious connection between them but by being forced to stop and start again it gives you a very interesting view of of life and i suppose the the, the lucky thing i guess was bp because being sent to live in different countries so i've lived in four or five now is just wonderful uh, learning different languages just just existing so far out of your comfort zone is great yeah brilliant that's that's really interesting actually you should say that because because I used to work pre, pre-starting CPL. Um, I worked for another software business that was a consolidator. So they, they bought lots of other software companies and, and, and they, were, they were private equity backed. So, um, you know, they were there to, to, to increase their, um, their, their top line and their bottom line. And, and when, you, when, you, when you merge two kind of software companies together, you're going to have, um, you're going to have redundancies. It's just life. It just happens. And, and you used to look at that. And I used to, I, I did an integration once of, of one of those businesses. And in fact, the, the two people who kind of ran that are now business partners of mine and very good friends. Um, but when we went in to do the integration with me as the kind of, uh, I guess, aggressor if, uh, is the way we were kind of seen. And you went in to do the the the, the redundancies and, and you saw this utter disappointment and fear and and um, um and everything on the people who are majored on it and and this utter kind of relief on the people who 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 didn't get made redundant who stayed but you know if you look at the people who actually were the ones made redundant they're the ones that have moved on quicker they're the ones that have because you're put in a position where you've got to do something about it um and you know and the people who stay just stay the people who don't the people who get made redundant actually have to go off and and do something else and you and, it, and you often find they um their careers flourish more than the people who actually stayed mm, no no it, it is fascinating how that happens i'd, I'd certainly have, i've never have done what i what i did unless somebody pushed me it would have been just just the safer thing to do but the, yeah. you know it's human nature my, my first redundancy was voluntary from bp and there's personal circumstances involved but I remember feeling very sorry for myself until I sort of shook myself and thought, why am I feeling sorry for myself? I engineered this. I'm getting paid to walk away from a job. Uh-huh. You know, I, I was living in Turkey at the time and I was driving past some people who had living in tents by the side of the road. I just thought I've been given more money than these people are ever going to have in their lives. And boo-hoo, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Grow up. Man up yeah. on it. Um, but once it's happened once, I actually find it strange now. If, if I see somebody with a CV that there's no redundancy, I, I find it rather peculiar. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's that. Yeah, that's that must be a fair point. Actually, that must be a fair point. Yeah, yes, because it is. It is quite common. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thanks, Nigel. That was that was brilliant. Thank you very much for for oh, joining pleasure. us and giving giving us your insight into into those questions and and kind of your your where where you are on all of these sort of things at the moment. That's great. Thank you very much. No, my pleasure. Hope it helps. Thank you. 